This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less... My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the minimalists. Today we're going to talk about healing your relationship with stuff, Mm. your relationship with the truth, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your values and your money and your creativity, and of course, your relationships with people. Why? Because today is the day, Ryan. Finally. Love people, use things. Yeah. Is on bookshelves and library shelves. Is this our first hardcover? Uh, well, in America, it is. We've yeah. had a lot of hard covers overseas. True, true, true. But yeah, all of our other books have been soft covers. So it's available right now. I'm not going to belabor the point. Hardcover, ebook, audiobook. We'll even read it to you. I was listening to the, the version of the audiobook. I'm going to do a little bit of reading today, but it's not going to do it justice because yeah. we spent two weeks in a studio doing the audiobook. That was, that was fun, man. You know, I know this isn't going to sound very minimalist, but the best way that I take in information from a book is I literally like, especially if we have a guest coming on, I got to read their book like quickly. Uh-huh. I will get the audio book and the book book and I will listen to the audio book as I'm reading it. Yes. And then I can like highlight stuff as I'm going along anyway. Um, I'm not encouraging you to do both. I'm just talking about what I do. <laughs> well, you can find it at your local library, your local indie bookshop at Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those other places. We'll put links in the show notes. But since today is a special day, we thought we'd have a very special guest here in the studio. Our returning champion, ninth time guest. G.K. Coleman! Love people. Yeah! Use <laughs> yes! <laughs> Everybody, welcome TK Coleman. This is ninth time on the podcast. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff here on this minimal episode, healing your relationship with stuff, creativity. We're going to talk a little bit about distractions as well. On the maximal episode this week, TK, I want to dive deep with you. We're going to talk about healing our relationship with lies, many of the lies, the untruths we tell ourselves and we tell other people. Also, our relationship with people, our relationship with money all the tension that it creates. Also, we have 13 overrated virtues I want to run by you. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can disagree about some things a little bit, TK. I wanted to start this episode before we get into the questions. I got two things for you, maybe three things. Ryan, I was stepping onto the elevator in my building this week. Mm. And I got on, I was riding the elevator down to the lobby and this woman stops uh, like on the fifth floor And she stops the elevator. She gets on. She has this cart full of stuff. And she says, can I get on the elevator? I said, sure. Huge cart full of stuff. And then she looks up at me and she goes, oh, my God, you're the reason I have all this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, wait a minute. She goes, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. You're the reason I'm getting rid of all of this stuff. Mm. I've been in this building for 35 years. And I feel like I've had all this stuff. It's like I have a life sentence of stuff mm. in my house, 35 years. And now she's finally tackled. She saw our, our last documentary, Less Is Now, on Netflix. And she had been in the building since you know the 80s. And now she was finally 
letting go. Wow. She found the courage to let go. That's incredible. And that's what we're trying wow. to do with this book. I want to start with an excerpt so we can just sort of talk about this book intelligently. This is from page 36. This is during the introduction. The introduction chapter is called In An Introduction to Living with Less. This book's title was inspired by two unlikely muses. It was the venerable Fulton J. Sheen, circa 1925, who first said, you must remember to love people and use things rather than to love things and use people. I encountered this epigram almost daily as a child. Every time I walked past my Catholic mother's bedroom and saw it artfully framed and mounted on the wall above her bed, nearly a century later, pop rap superstar Drake echoed Sheen's line when he sang, Love. Well, no, I don't know what the line is, actually. <laughs> Wish you would learn to love people and use things and not the other way around. Mm. The Minimalists reworked the sentiment to create the catchphrase that has come to, to define our message. Love people and use things because the opposite never works, which ends every episode of our podcast. When Ryan and I close our live events with this line, the crowd often echoes the phrase in unison. A few brave souls have even tattooed the phrase on their bodies as a permanent re daily reminder. I've got a picture in the book here of someone. This is our Salt Lake City event a couple of years ago. Jordan yeah. took a photo of it here and his photo is in the book. It's pretty cool. Yeah, love people comma, use things right there on her body. Minimalism itself is not a new idea. The concept dates back to the Stoics, to every major religion, to and more recently to Emerson and Thoreau and Tyler Durden. What's new is the problem. Never before have people been more seduced by materialism, and never before have people been so willing to forsake loved ones to acquire heaps of meaningless stuff. With this book, we will shine a new light on minimalism's time-tested wisdom one lesson at a time. The book's aim isn't to remove you from the modern world, but rather to show you how to better live within it. How do we learn to live confidently without the material things we've convinced ourselves we need? How do we live a more intentional and rewarding life? How do we learn to reset our priorities? How do we transform the way we look at ourselves? How do we get what we want out of life? Ryan and I explore these questions by examining the seven essential relationships that make us who we are. Stuff, truth, self, values, money, creativity, and people. These relationships crisscross our lives in unexpected ways, providing destructive patterns that frequently repeat themselves, too often left unexamined because we have buried them beneath materialistic clutter. This book offers the tools to help in the fight against consumerism, clearing the slate to make room for a more meaningful life. Now, here's the point I wanted to get to here. Ryan and I believe that by highlighting our flaws and working through our issues publicly, we can help people deal with their own issues and the shame that surrounds the decisions of the past. It just so happens that this book is the best medium for us to pour our guts onto the page. Throughout these pages, we'll, use, we'll also use expert insights and case studies to peel back the facade covering the hidden truths of everyday people who have been hiding their shame like we once did under a mountain of useless objects. Mm. So there are some stories in this book, Ryan. Drug abuse, uh, arrests, yeah. theft. Yeah. Um, Infidelity. Infidelity, ending up in an insane asylum for a week. Yeah, A lot of things that we have never talked about publicly. We're yeah. not going to talk about on this episode. We may dive into on a, on a future Maximal episode a little bit. But we wanted to get it out there because 
these are sort of everyday things. Now, TK, we all deal with certain struggles yeah. in our life. And we're afraid to admit it because of the shame, because we see the perfect lives of everyone else. Now, no one's going to mistake this as a, a memoir of a couple of perfect guys yeah. who have done everything right. I mean, we've done everything wrong and now we've cataloged it. Mm. We have like, we have the proof here. <laughs> I f thank God for the statute of limitations because some of the stuff in here, it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that was our life at one point. Yeah. Well, I think that's where people learn the most. I mean, we have this weird thing in Western culture, I think specifically, of we put our leaders, our role models, uh, you know, celebrities, we put them on this pedestal as if like they should be perfect or as close to perfect as possible. Yeah. But what a crappy expectation. Because really, most of us, most mm -hmm. of the world, we go through a lot of these things. We go through a lot of tough situations, bad decisions. So, you know, for, for Josh and I, to put these stories out there, personally, I would rather see a story of redemption mm. than a story of perfection. And uh, that's what Josh and I did with this. We kind of laid it out all out on the table. And um, yeah, I really hope people can, they probably didn't screw up as bad as Josh and I did, or, or maybe <laughs> they didn't. But, you know, hopefully it's going to do one of two things. It's going to help people look at, uh, uh, these screw ups be like, oh yeah, I've, I've done those things too. Oh, and that's, you know, here's a path that I can take to kind of redeem myself. Or maybe they'll look at it and they'll say, man, I did not, I, I haven't done any, anything nearly this bad. Uh -huh. I can definitely redeem myself. Oh yeah. That's so, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was hard to tell some of these stories, but I'm glad we did. And like I said, I think that that's where people learn the most. They learn from stories of redemption, uh, not these stories of people being perfect. Yeah. 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 What about you, TK? You ever screwed up? Nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to say that uh, I've been holding on to this way too long. I was going to say, yeah, struggle's definitely real. Like when you threw that Drake line to Ryan and you completely botched the highlight clip, I was just like, oh, man. I know. I, I couldn't. I don't <laughs> know right that. There. I don't know that line verbatim. I know. I was like, I was going to try it, but I'm like, I'm going to screw this up so bad. And then Drake's going to sue us and be like, you killed my line. <laughs> when the camera's off, Josh's going to be like, don't F up the Drake line. <laughs> we, we practiced this 20 times. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's funny, man, because once upon a time, celebrities were deliberately marketed as that. I, I think this generation's so mm -hmm. different because before you could have this huge gap between the private life of a celebrity and, you know, the, the public image. And so you could just present yourself how you want it to be seen and mm -hmm. no one knew anything about you. Mm -hmm. But now we're in the age where, you know, basketball stars, movie stars, they can't hide. They're on social media. We're taking pictures of them when they're having lunch. And so mm -hmm. there's a unique dilemma today where you have to decide what you're going to do with this high level of visibility. Are you going to lean into it and say, okay, I'm not going to wait for TMZ to, you know, expose me as someone that gets angry sometime, uh, sometimes. I'm just going to tell you, I get angry sometimes. I lose my cool sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like, I think you guys are, are taking the lead with putting yourselves out there and saying, there's nothing wrong with having your imperfections exposed. The important thing is that you take the lead in that process and you're the one that does it so that you can de-scandalize it, so to speak. We need to de-scandalize imperfection. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You know, it's crazy. Like my my 16-year-old self, I don't know. Like there was a couple things I screwed up. And then, you know, Josh talks about uh, 
spoiler alert, Josh talks about the, uh, the insane asylum, which I guess you could call it an insane asylum, but you know, I had, I'd overdosed when I was like 19 years old. So being like in my teens, I thought I would never, oh, maybe I was a little older than that, but it doesn't matter. Being, being young, I never thought I could recover from something like that. Like it felt like a life ending, um, life would never be the same. And, and maybe to an extent it wasn't, Yeah. but yeah, I never thought I'd be able to recover from that. And the fact that, you know, here I am 40 years old, you know, that kid who overdosed like that is, I don't even know that person, you know, wow. it feels like a different life. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, I think, especially for young people, they have these moments, they get embarrassed, you know, they, they do something and they feel like, oh, my life is over. And mm. like, really, no, it's not over. Like you yeah. are, you are living life. Yes. Going through these lessons and hopefully this book can help people. Uh, it can show them to, to move forward. Well, the, the de-scandalizing, I, I like that term because that's a type of letting go in a way, mm. because what happens, you, you talk about the younger people, Ryan, but as we get older, we often cling to those moments yeah. and say, that defines me. That's mm. who I am. Yeah. Well, no, the thing I talk about in the book is your, your past self is merely an ancestor who birthed you, but we don't have to cling mm. to that. And so yeah. I like the idea of the, the yeah. de-scandalizing. Mm. We got some audience questions here. I thought we could dive into those. Before we do, I threw up a Twitter poll this morning and it simply was two choices, love people, use things. And at the moment, by the way, if you're listening to this, the day this podcast comes out, that this is the day the book comes out, but you can go over to my Twitter account. It's just twitter.com slash JFM. And you can vote on this right now. As of this recording, it's 79% love people. (laughs) 21% use things. (laughs) There's no wrong answer here. We do both, Mm -hmm. but you get to pick on that Twitter poll. Mm -hmm. We have a question here from Kim in Scranton, PA. When I want to get rid of things that are used and can't be donated, but I know that they're going to sit in a pile of trash for probably 100 years before they even start to degrade, what should I do with these objects? There's certain things that I know I can get rid of because I'm not using them, but to throw them away hurts my heart, and I know that they are not donatable because they're either half used or so broken down. What we're really talking about here, TK, is how do you let go of possessions? I pulled this from our website because I need this reminder. This is always a reminder for me because I have the same problem. I I get caught up in the, oh, but I need to find the perfect home for the thing if I want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Now, the woman I encounter on the elevator, she's like, I'm headed to goodwill. I'm getting rid of this stuff. It's a burden. Now, why did she notice that? Because she knew she was beginning to understand the true cost of our things. Mm -hmm. And so real quick, how to let go of possessions. Our possessions possess us. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. This is how we let go. If a thing stops adding value, sell it. If it doesn't sell in a week, lower the price. If it doesn't sell in 30 days, donate it. If a donation place doesn't accept it, recycle it. And if it can't be recycled, trash it as a last resort. Mm. Once we let go, we're able to move on. Yeah. And really here, Kim, the, the part that you're not connecting the dots on yet, but you're going to as soon as you hear this, it will click for you very easily. Once you let go, you're able to move on. Right now, the real cost of holding on to those things in your home or in your office or in your car or in your closet or a storage locker, whatever it is, the cost is the inability to move on, that attachment. 
So we never think about the cost of our things. Here's an excerpt from Love People yeah. Use Things. It's page eight here. The price tag dangling from each new widget tells only a fraction of the story. The true cost of a thing extends well beyond its price. There's the cost of storing the thing, maintaining the thing, cleaning the thing, watering the thing, charging the thing, accessorizing the thing, refueling the thing, changing the oil in the thing, replacing the batteries in the thing, fixing the thing, repainting the thing, taking care of the thing, protecting the thing. And of course, when it's all said and done, replacing the thing, not to mention the emotional and psychological costs of our things, which are even more difficult to quantify. When you add it all up, the actual cost of owning a thing is immeasurable. So we better choose carefully mm. what things we bring into our lives because we can't afford every thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Remember when I kept saying everything yeah. and Matt was like, can you just say the, it the correct way? Yes. And I just don't know how to say it. It's, it's thing. I don't know what else to say. No, Kim is prolonging pain here. Like mm. she's, she's putting mm. it off. <clears throat> the one thing I'll say is Kim, when, as soon as you purchase that thing, you already hurt the environment. The, holding onto it doesn't hurt the environment less. As soon as you took that thing off the store shelf, you already hurt the environment. And all you're doing now is you're prolonging the pain of letting that thing go. Uh, I would encourage you to just donate what you have. You don't, I mean, you don't, You may not realize that some of the things you think aren't donatable might be do donatable. Now, maybe she's got a half a cheeseburger or something. Like, yeah, you can't donate something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But, but let the donation place decide on some of these things that maybe you're on the fence with. But yeah, ultimately, you know, what Josh and I wrote about the process of letting go, um, those are some very easy, simple steps. And what this will do is help Kim. It'll give herself permission to put some of these things that, yeah, they might end up in the landfill. The best way to really redeem yourself here is to stop purchasing crap that you don't need. Yes. It's the best thing you can do. But but sitting here and holding on to it, that's that's like a, in a way, like a hoarder's mentality of like, well, you know, it might be able to be used one day and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I can't donate it. And oh, I don't want to put it in the landfill. Like we, we make up all these excuses, but I, I can't say it enough, Kim. Like as soon as you purchase that thing and took it off the shelf, unfortunately, you already hurt the environment. Yeah. TK, yeah. let's talk about some of these costs. The Let's talk about the psychology behind this. Yeah. So, um, from that perspective, I would say, you know, the, the first step to letting go of stuff is letting go of the stories you tell yourself about the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. A story is kind of like the glue that attaches us to these things that we have a hard time letting go of. It's like, if I got this letter from, you know, when I was in sixth grade, a girl that I liked, she wrote to me, you know, I'm trying to pretend like people loved me when I was in sixth grade, but <laughs> you know, it, it's the story about what this means that makes it hard to let go. Cause mm -hmm. that's just a piece of paper you know, with, with the words written in ink, but it's the story. Like, you know, if I let this go, who, who do I become? Mm. Can I still be me without this thing? And so even in this, even in this question about like, you know, if, if I let go of things, it's going to be kind of like waste. If I can't donate it and I throw it out, that's going to be wasteful. Mm. Well, that's a story. That's a story. And it's a story that's rooted in guilt. You know, I need to let go of these things because they're hindering my joy. They're getting in the way of my pursuit of meaning. But if I do that, I'm going to be a wasteful person. Mm. And I, I think the solution to that is to say it's better to trash your things than to trash your life. Right. Ooh. It's better to waste Tweet that. stuff that you don't need yeah. than to waste away your valuable years, your valuable energy, holding on to things that are just getting in the way of you becoming the best possible version of yourself. Dude, yep. that's good.
That's, That's good. so I'm, good. I'm stealing that. Kim, I want, put it on Twitter. I want to send you a copy <laughs> of our minimalist rule book. So we have a, a long, it's like maybe 30 pages. You can download it for free. Theminimalists.com slash rule book, because there's one rule in there in particular. I think you'll really benefit from, by the way, there's an attenuated version of these 16 rules. There's 16 rules for living with less in love. People use things. You don't have to buy the book in order to, to take advantage of these rules. So they're all free right there on our website, theminimalists.com slash rule book. But Ryan, the, the, this is a rule that Ryan came up with called the spontaneous combustion rule. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you hold up an item, you look at it and say, okay, if this spontaneously combusted, would I replace it or would I feel relieved? Ah, Meaning like, would I buy this thing again? And clearly with these things that you're talking about trashing, there's one other story that she might be telling herself. Oh, no one else wants these things. Mm. That's not always true. Yeah. And it may be that you have, you know, of course, there's this old platitude of, well, someone else's junk is someone else's treasure, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but that is often the case. Platitudes are true. They've just been stripped of all of the emotion that make them profound, mm. but it doesn't take the truth out of them. Yeah. And so enjoy that minimalist rule book. There's also an audiobook version. So Kim, if you want that, we'd be happy to send you that as well. Theminimalists.com slash rule book. We have a question here from Tessa in Toronto. So I really enjoy photography and cosmetology. They're both hobbies of mine and I'm very passionate about both of them and they bring me endless joy, but they both create so much clutter. Um, How do I justify to my new minimalist attitude that having more than one dark red lipstick or highlighter or many different props or backdrops is okay if I know I'm going to use them in the next 30 to 90 days. So you have some hobbies, you have some passions, you have some creative outlets that it seems are cluttering your life. I think it goes back to the stories that we tell ourselves there, right? As a minimalist, I'm supposed to own nothing. And and believe me, I get it. We're going to do a future episode soon about recluttering. In fact, this is the first uh, episode we're recording in this new studio here with the sound panels. And it sounds so much better now. We're we're tweaking some of the equipment and everything. And with Podcast Sean and and Jordan No More, and we got new lighting in here. And so there are certain accoutrements that are required for us to film this podcast. We've decided we want to do a video version of the podcast. Right now you see these backdrops behind us. These aren't really backdrops. It's wrapping paper. There's a gift behind here. It's a brand new studio (laughs) behind this wrapping paper. We're going to be unveiling it soon, somewhere around episode 300. I think we're 296 right now. But in the meantime, we're sort of hiding some additional clutter that's, that's behind us. Now, these are things that we're going to use as... Tessa said, within a a defined period of time. And I think that's what's important, setting up those boundaries. Another one of the the minimalist rules that we have is the 90-90 rule. Mm -hmm. Am I going to use this in the next 90 days? Have I used it in the last 90 days? If not, then I give myself permission to let go. What do you think, TK? What about what about these boundaries? And also, what about this this sort of you know? We did a whole chapter in Love People Use Things about creativity. Ryan and I were doing an interview yesterday with uh, L Magazine, the Dutch version of L Magazine, mm-hmm. and and the woman was, at first was like, I, when I was I read the book and it was like there was this one relationship, the relationship with creativity, that it almost felt like it didn't fit at first with all of these other relationships. Why why is why did you decide to write about it? And I said, because we've been lied to. We've been told we're consumers. And that's partially true. Consumption isn't a problem. Consumerism, though, is a problem. Mm. The, we are all creators. Yeah, yeah. But we've been lied to for so long. We've consumed so much to try to become happy that we've lost our way. We've 
we forgot that we're creators. And what Tessa is saying is, I feel like minimalism doesn't align with my creativity. And what I would say to Tessa is, no, minimalism is about creativity. It's stripping away the excess so we have the space, we have the blank canvas from yeah. which to create. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like we have to make a distinction between minimalism and dogmatism, right? Like mm -hmm. minimalism is a lifestyle where you contextualize your material possessions with a sense of purpose. You say that there's nothing wrong with matter, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with physical substance, right. but there is something wrong with consuming a bunch of things, thinking that it's going to make us happy and then crowding our, our space with things that distract us from what makes life truly meaningful. Yes. And, you know, to your point about, you know, creativity and consumption as human beings, we're not just here to be, consume. And, you know, a lot of advertising kind of convinces us that we can, but we actually become depressed pretty quickly when we're divorced from the creative process. And so anytime you feel like, okay, I got a bunch of stuff, but my life is feeling empty, even though my shelves are full, don't just ask yourself, how can I get rid of my stuff? But ask yourself, how can I feel the space surrounding my stuff with more creative energy? Mm. How can I maybe get a, a new a new use out of the things that I already have? How can I be more creative with, with how I employ them and so on? So I, I think that's a, I think the creativity piece is absolutely essential. But, you mm. know, to answer this question, I would say let go of the story of guilt that says there's a certain number of things which, if you have, makes you some kind of sinner and puts you in minimalism purgatory. Mm. This, this is not a religion. Um, there is no objective right or wrong number of things for you to have. If you are an artist and you need many different colors, you know, who's to say, well, 12 is more than enough. Well, not if you need 13 colors in order to be able to paint your picture, yeah. you know. Um, so let go of that story of guilt and make sure that you are analyzing the things in your life by how much use you make of them. Mm -hmm. And if you're using them, give yourself that permission. And if you're not, then as Josh said, give them away, recycle them, do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me think that uh, Tessa here should ask herself the question, are my things getting in the way of my creativity? Yeah. And if the yeah. answer is yes, then yeah, Tessa, you got too much stuff. But yeah. I, what I want Tessa to ask herself is, are you worried about how you are judging yourself or are you worried about how like Josh TK and I are going to judge mm. your stuff? Yeah. Because sometimes yeah. we get this guilt based on other people's judgments. And what really matters, Tessa, is what you think about you. Mm. So, you know, ask yourself those two questions. Is this stuff getting in the way of my creativity? And am I judging myself or am I looking at myself through other people's eyes? You bring up a great point about asking questions, Ryan. So in the creativity chapter, it starts with this, this whole story. It's probably the, the most um, endearing story of mine in the book. It's when I got my first real job at 13. But then, uh, so I'll just read that. I'll, I'll read it because I got my actual first job way before, a decade before that. So I'll read this because it's really about questions here. This is relationship six, creativity. I got my first real job at 13, the summer between junior high and high school, spinning cotton candy at Americana, <laughs> a discount amusement park on the outskirts of Middletown, Ohio. But my first ever job was a decade earlier in the mid 80s. We had just moved to American Village, a bland apartment complex composed of dozens of brown brick buildings separated by thin landing strips of brown grass 20 miles south of Dayton. Our one-bedroom unit was entirely beige, the carpets and walls and appliances all shades of monotony. A couple weeks before my fourth birthday, I asked 
I asked to buy a G.I. Joe action figure at the local Hills department store. Mom explained we didn't have enough money to both pay our bills and purchase the plastic man I wanted, so we'd have to wait till Friday for the toy soldier. Being that I was only four and I didn't understand money or commerce or delayed gratification, I figured I could help. That afternoon, I marched down to our apartment's main office and told them I needed a job. After she realized it wasn't a joke, the woman behind the counter smiled and then whispered something to her coworker before returning her benevolent eyes to me. Okay, if you pick up litter around our building, we'll give you a dollar a week, she said. Two, I said. (laughs) Excuse me? I'll do it for two dollars a week. Neither woman could contain her laughter. Was this little boy negotiating his salary? Two dollars, huh? She said. One for my mom to pay the bills. The other so I can buy toys. Bless your heart, she said, and then shook my hand to seal the deal. Every weekend that summer, I dropped off a small trash bag filled with dozens of glass bottles and food wrappers and scraps of paper. And every weekend, I returned home with a dollar for my mom and a dollar for me. Let's ignore that I was grossly underpaid and that we were probably breaking several child labor laws. And let's focus instead on the wisdom I absorbed that summer. While I didn't learn about budgeting or inflation or sound financial principles, I picked up many valuable lessons that formed a foundation for my aspirations. I learned about the payoff from drudgery. I learned it's impossible to have the peaks without the valleys. I learned about earning an income by creating value. And I learned about not sitting around and relying on others. Most important, I learned the power of asking. You see... Had I not been willing to ask for that first, quote, job, then not only would I have missed out on my first taste of earning income, but I would have missed out on the knowledge gained through the experience itself. Mm. It turns out that any creative endeavor, be it writing a book, opening a yoga studio, or baking a cake, or photography, or cosmology, or whatever else, whatever your creative endeavor, whatever it is, is ultimately just a series of questions. All creativity is birthed from continuous questioning and our creations merely answer those questions. Who would benefit from this? What makes my solution interesting or unique? Where is the greatest need for my perspective? Why hasn't this problem already been solved? How can I better serve others with my creativity? And what's the thing I can't not do? Now, Tessa... You're asking yourself some questions here, but maybe there's some other questions to be asking. Because mm. if you ask those questions, you might realize that there are certain things I need to solve problems, to I understand what you're trying to create. And then the tools just become tools. If they're useful to you, great. If not, you give yourself permission to let go. Wow. Tessa, mm. I'm going to send you a copy of the book, uh, Love People Use Things. You want the audio book? If you like our podcast, you'll really like the audiobook because Ryan and I read the entire thing. Or if you want the hardcover or the ebook, we're happy to send those to you as well. Ryan, what time is it? Wow. You know what time it is? It's time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937 202 
four six five four. Yes, hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm gonna be so rude because I, I gotta say something about this story you just read. Tell me. So dope. It's so dope. By Thank the way, you. Uh, you got your next book title: A Dollar for Mom and a Dollar for Me. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Subtitled: The Essence of True Abundance. Yeah. Woo. I love this because one of the things that story illustrates is that the desire for more is a form of pathology when it's born out of a need to compensate for a lack of self-respect, mm. a lack of self-love, a lack of self-directed purpose. Tweet but that. the <laughs> desire for more is the definition of true abundance when it's born out of a desire to be truly generous and to serve others. So what I love about your story is you were actually seeking more money, not less. But why is that abundance? Not because you were seeking more money, but you were seeking the money for the purpose of serving another human being. Mm. It's not about less or more, it's about the purpose that you're using things for. And I didn't even intend to rhyme. We got it. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Oh, I dig that, man, so much. Yeah. So so I, I like what you're saying here because you know, the the creativity, the questioning, all of that, but also the, the abundance mindset. Yeah. I heard someone once say that you don't ever wanna look in at what your neighbor has unless they don't have enough. Yeah, that's mm. the only time you want to look, you know, compare yeah. yourself to them, because if they don't have enough and I do, if I have more than enough and that's the same thing with, with my mom here is like, I knew yeah. we didn't have enough. Right. And now I didn't understand math. So I thought a dollar was going yeah. to solve our problems. Right. Yeah. And I would bring it home and she could buy milk with it. I thought, mm. et cetera. Yeah. But it was, it wasn't about now it's like, Oh, I look at my neighbor and it's like, Oh, they have more than me. I should get either get some of their stuff is now mine or I need to do something to become more like that person. Mm. You know, uh, Anthony O'Neill and I had, had this awesome discussion about just money and how there are all these stereotypes around wealth where like the desire for wealth is often demonized. And sometimes we have a tendency to over spiritualize the experience of lack. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the, the overlooked things about abundance is that sometimes when you don't desire more, that can be a form of unhealthy selfishness because Ooh. it can be an indicator that you only think about yourself. Yeah. You only think about your own needs. You're not aware of anybody else who, who needs help. And, and sometimes the desire for more, the desire to make more of yourself, to maximize your capacity to create wealth is born out of seeing other people struggle and say, it's not enough for me to just provide for me and my family. I wanna make a difference in the lives of other people. So I'm gonna push myself to achieve a new level in my own life by actualizing my potential so that I can be a greater asset to other people. It's not just about things. It's not just about stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what makes generosity generosity. Not that you have more numbers behind your name, not that your net worth is higher, but that your desire to serve is bringing out the best in you. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. It's reminding me of what the publisher wrote for the description of the book. The very last paragraph is one sentence. Because once you have less, you can make room for the right kind of more. That's it. Mm. Now, Amen. I wouldn't yeah. say right, wrong, morally. Let's be clear about that. What, what, what the publisher is, is highlighting there is like, well, you know, we're, we're searching for one kind of more and it's making us miserable. We never even think about this other more. Yeah. And it requires a, a, a subtraction an uncovering of sorts in order to find that abundance. Maybe the abundance, abundance has always been there yeah, and we've yeah. simply covered it up with yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Now this lightning yeah. round, TK, you'll recall 
since this is your ninth time on the podcast. <laughs> is it nine times? Yes, That's this incredible. is. Yeah, he's I nine him, times in the finals. I, I sent him a picture of uh, of Bill Russell this morning because Bill, Bill Russell has this picture wearing all 11 of his rings. And I'm like, you're getting close. <laughs> and then he sent me a picture back of Robert Ori, who, who happens to have seven rings. But yeah. I'm finally passing up Robert yeah. Ori. Yeah, anyway, during the lightning round, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so people can. Yeah. share our pithy answers on social media if they like and now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place thanks to our good friend jessica lynn williams over at minimalmaxims.com now ryan who has a question for we us a today? question from mindy here she wants to know how do i rejuvenate my creativity when i'm overwhelmed by burnout well here i've got a pithy answer from you but it's not my pithy answer it's tk coleman's so just this week he tweeted this and i was like oh my gosh this is perfect for this question so mindy again says how do i rejuvenate my creativity when i'm overwhelmed by burnout and here's the tweet that i got from tk coleman we do not create because we know that our desire or that our ideas will live on. We do not create because we know that our ideas will live on. We create because creativity is part and parcel of what it means to be fully alive. Yeah. 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 I like that's that. That's why we and that's the problem with consumption or consumerism rather. Yeah. The, the problem with consumerism as an ideology, buying things is going to make me happy. It's going to make me fully alive, mm. but it does the opposite. It often, not, not that there's anything wrong with the material things as we said, right. but the, the consumption of those things doesn't fill the void like we thought it would. Mm. By the way, the void was just created by marketers and advertisers and, yeah. and, and major corporations anyway. In comparisons, yeah. Yes, but in comparisons to make us feel inadequate. Right. And what you're saying in this tweet from what, I, or at least what I, what I tweezed out of it is, man, TK, if we want to fill the void, it's filling with creativity, not consumption. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I love that, man. Uh, my favorite Chuck Norris quote is slow down to go faster. Ooh. I just heard someone say the other day that if you can't find an hour to meditate, then you need to meditate for two hours a day. Yeah. Right? Th th there, is, there is a quality of meaning and success that wisdom will bring that work can never deliver. And so if, if you find yourself in these overwhelmed spaces and you're trying to figure out how to get more creative, you got to remember, you can't let your light shine if you're too busy putting out fires all the time. So you have to make that distinction between reacting and creating. And if you're spending most of your life in a reactionary space, that's that's a space that's not going to reciprocate energy. So mm. I'm way beyond 140 characters. But what I would say is slow down, create space for the wisdom that is within and let your creativity come from that non-reactionary space. Yeah. There was another pithy answer you gave and it was, you cannot let your light shine if you're too, if you're too busy putting out other fires. Yep. And edit everything out and just, that, just do yeah. that. Tweet that podcast on. That podcast on. <laughs> like he spells it S-E-A-N. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He spells it the correct way. Right, exactly. And, by, and if you spell it any other way, you're wrong. That's Not true. just incorrect, you're morally wrong. <laughs> you're a bad right. person. <laughs> no, we love all Sean's, no matter how you spell yes. it. Yes. Even if you are wrong. Even if you're a scene. <laughs> I got a pithy answer for you, Ryan. Creativity is essential. Consumerism is not. That's self-explanatory. You got Preach. something for us? I do, and I just want to. I just want to preface it with this, Mindy. Uh, I come from a place of of relating, not of judgment, with this comment. I've been there. Yeah. So here's my pithy answer: Show me your calendar, and I'll show you your priorities. 
And this is something that Josh and I have said many times before. Uh, it's very apt here, Mindy. Um, the, the fact is, is that what I'm hearing you say is, is like, I'm not inspired. I'm not inspired to be creative anymore because I'm burnt out. Well, if you're going to wait around for inspiration, it'll probably never come. But if you plan for inspiration, you plan to be creative. That's when it will start to come. It's, it's planning for creation first, first, and then the inspiration will come. So show me your calendar. I'll show you your priorities, Mindy. You asked me if I struggle. This, this is an area that I've struggled with. Um, even recently I, I felt like life hit me from multiple different angles and came really close to burying me in a lot of ways. I'm going to, there's a story I'm going to try to tweeze out of him on the Maximal episode. (laughs) I know we can't tell it publicly. He may not even tell it privately, (laughs) but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. They'll go ahead and dance around the edges right now. I don't even know the story, man. This is it's killing me. All right. In the spirit so of being transparent, I just want to say I struggle with some things. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I seriously do know what it, what it means to, to burn out. And there's a paradoxical thing that happens with creativity. If, if you're a dreamer and you come up with creative ideas, that's a really fun stage. But once those ideas begin to work, they create a lot of task for you. And it's very easy to kind of slip into maintenance mode where you're managing all of the responsibilities that come along with creating results. And so I have been in in many stages in life where I was inspired, I'm generating a lot of ideas, then those ideas start working and maybe I have customers or promises to keep. And now I'm entirely in maintenance mode, my energy is being drained, I'm losing creativity, my output is really high. I'm very productive and respectable to society, but I'm losing myself in the process. Mm. And mm. I, I even had to recently just just step away. I, I stepped away from social media for a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife and I went back home to Chicago and Michigan and just kind of stepped away from the fray because I had to realize like, man, if you lose yourself, it doesn't matter what it is you're giving to someone else. Mm. Like, you know, the the... The real treasure is not the golden egg. It's it's the goose that lays them. You got to protect the goose that lays the golden egg, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we did the, the self chapter in the book as well. Yeah. We'll dive more into that on the Maximal episode. Now, we have the most odd added value segment this week that we've ever had. Thanks to our good friend TK Coleman. And, and we're going to get to that added value segment I'm in curious. a moment. But first, here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, this is Kira calling from Chicago. I just listened to episode 12 on money and wanted to share some advice that helped me in my minimalist lifestyle during and after college. My dad advised that I didn't attend a university where the tuition would cost more than what I would make in my first year entry salary with that degree. After following that advice, I picked up a second job after graduation to pay off my loans, and I continued to live with roommates to keep costs low. Between both of those approaches, I paid off over $20,000 in debt in less than a year. The financial freedom has opened up more doors than I could ever imagine, so I was able to quit my second job, afford to buy a new car, travel the country, and move to my dream city to pursue my life's passion all within five years of time. It was a long and difficult road working 70-plus hours a week for a year, but it was all short-term pain for long-term gain and worth every initial sacrifice to get me to where I am today. 
Hey there. My name is Sam McGee. I'm from Spokane, Washington, and I wanted to respond to the episode on creativity with Matt Diavela. I love the ideas that are expressed in this episode, which I do feel are consistently hit upon in every short documentary that Matt puts out every week. Um, I have been a longtime follower. Uh, as a documentary filmmaker myself, I've spent the last year replacing the urge to consume with the habit of creating. Uh, this is one of the topics you discussed in this episode. I've found in my commercial work and in my personal life, it's become a lifestyle of creating. Photographing my family, uh, creating films about my kids for the purpose of sharing that art with my family, for the purpose of um, group therapy with my wife as we learn to be the best parents possible for my kids. That's the, that's the point that I want to make. Um, filmmaking, creating, for me, is a form of therapy. It's a powerful way for me to process the world and invite others to join me in that conversation. Uh, invite others to engage and consider these moments in their own lives. I'm thankful for that invitation that you put out there on the Internet every day with the minimalist's, quote, content, uh, as well as Matt's content. Um, I do personally need the consistency. I choose to listen for the tenth time uh, <laughs> because I need to be reminded to kill the habit of constantly consuming. All right, y'all. Big thanks to TK Coleman for joining us today. We have a bunch more surprise questions for TK this week over on Patreon. In the meantime, you can check him out. Revolution of One is his show. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And then check him out on the Maximal episode this week. That's on the Minimalist private podcast. That's patreon.com slash the minimalist. But first, uh, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. You know, the new book came out today. Love people use things because the opposite never works. Hardcover, ebook, audiobook, but... We released this at a time where we can't really do a full tour yet. However, next week, we are going to announce the official Love People Use Things Tour. We're coming to 20 cities, U.S. and Canada. If you're on our email list, you'll be the second to know. The first to know will be our Patreon supporters. They get tickets uh, 24 hours in advance, so they get the best seats in the house. And who knows? TK, we might even convince TK Coleman to come to some of these tour stops with us and, yeah. and join us on stage. I'm going to drive to all of them and crash them. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we want TK there. And so it's going to be all over the place. The South, the East, the West, the, this fall, this winter, theminimalists.com slash tour to find the city closest to you. Now, I know that a lot of you We'll want to get tickets. Now, some of these are going to be some smaller venues. I have to tell you this in advance because tickets for our last tour, we did 50 cities and I think 43, 45 of them sold out, yeah, right? Yeah. And they'll sell out. And people will always ask, when are you going to come to Dallas? When are you coming to Boston? When are you coming to Seattle? Well, now the answer is fall and winter. And now's your chance. Don't wait for the tickets to sell out. If you want to attend, we've priced them very, very reasonably to cover our travel costs. We're not making a bunch of money from these tours. The tickets are inexpensive. And so now's an opportunity. Now, if they sell out and scalpers start selling them on StubHub or whatever, I can't do anything about that. Mm. So now is your chance to be the first in line to get tickets for that. Also, 
this uh, this week, uh, yesterday and today, Ryan and I are going around to bookstores in L.A. County and signing copies of Love People Use Things throughout L.A. County, local indie bookshops, as well as a few Barnes and Noble as well. So if you do pick up a copy in L.A. County, there may even be an autographed copy for you. And no matter where you are, if you pick up a copy of Love People Use Things, our Local meetup groups, free local meetup groups over at minimalist.org. TK, we have 100 free local meetup groups in eight different countries. The, there's also one that's called an online city. So for folks who don't have a, a meetup group close to them, there's this online city. 16,000 people in there who all encourage each other with their stuff, their relationships, their careers, etc. And that minimalist.org group is going to do a special love people use things. It's a group challenge. They're all going to do this group challenge together. The publisher set this up. They've been working with Jess on this, who, who runs our social media. And so we've got this whole challenge for the month of August. If you are over there, minimalist.org, it's free to join. We don't want any money from you for that. And if you can, you can also meet open-minded, like-minded people who are exploring just like you are. And if you enjoy the book, this is the only time I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask it one time, one time only. If you enjoy Love People Use Things, please leave us a review on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Goodreads if you enjoy the book. It's one of the best ways to help us spread this message of living intentionally with less. Now for our added value this week, T.K. Coleman. So, you know, it's July and it's kind of today feels like Christmas in July. <laughs> I thought we would end this episode because TK is here. TK listens to Christmas music every day of his life. Yeah. I'm told. Mm. And so with our book coming out, it feels like Christmas to me. Let's end this week's episode with love is Christmas by Sarah Bareilles. This is a recommendation from TK Coleman, by the nice. way, we're going to end the episode there, by the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like, is the desire to win a mental illness? Uh-oh, we might disagree about this, TK. Why is the risk of criticism or rejection so unbearable to me? Is it loving to separate yourself from people you're very close to if your values are not aligned? Which relationships do you struggle with the most? And what do Ryan, Joshua, and TK disagree about? Plus a million more questions for TK and The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, join us on The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. We've simplified the pricing. There's also annual pricing. You can save a bunch of money on that as well. It's relatively inexpensive, but you get all the archives. You also get access to our private community. Over 5,000 people over there on Patreon who interact with each other. So that's patreon.com slash The Minimalists. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Come to one of our live podcast shows, minimalists.com slash tours, the website for that. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash The Minimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails for free whenever we send those out. And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. The string
don't care if the gifts are wrapped or there's nothing here to open. Love is not a toy and no paper will conceal it. Love is simply joy that I'm home. I don't care if the carpet's stained, we've got food upon our table. I don't care if it's gonna rain.